0: Well, it's great to be with you this morning. Uh, This is my first time to be able to join you in a service here in your your new building. Uh, This is great, and it's just uh, thrilling to join you within your worship of the Lord this morning. Uh, This morning we're going to continue the series in 1 Corinthians, and we're going to be in 1 Corinthians chapter 6. So if you have your Bibles, uh, join me over in 1 Corinthians chapter 6, or your phones, your iPads, or whatever you may be using this morning. But I have a copy of the Scriptures in front of you as we look at this passage of Scripture this morning. 1 Corinthians chapter 6. I'm going to read the first 11 verses. Follow along. When one of you has a grievance against another... Does he dare go to law before the unrighteous instead of the saints? Or do you not know that the saints will judge the world? And if the world is to be judged by you, are you incompetent to try trivial cases? Do you not know that we are to judge angels? How much more, then, matters pertaining to this life? So if you have such cases... Why not rather be defrauded? But you yourselves wrong and defraud even your own brothers. Or do you not know that the unrighteous will not inherit the kingdom of God? Do not be deceived. Neither the sexually immoral, nor idolaters, nor adulterers, nor men who practice homosexuality, nor thieves, nor the greedy, nor drunkards, nor revilers, nor swindlers will inherit the kingdom of God. And such were some of you, but you were washed, you were sanctified, you were justified in the name of the Lord Jesus Christ and by the Spirit of our God. May the Lord bless his scripture that's been read to us here this morning. It was the most embarrassing moment of my life. And it came at the hands of someone that I love very dearly, my oldest grandson. He was in that stage. And if you have young children, or if you've had young children, you'll relate, it was the potty training stage. And Connor would say to us and to his mom and dad, someday I will go on the pot. But not today. (laughs) Now, a lot of kids you can bribe with candy and with sweets, but not Connor because he doesn't like candy. He doesn't like sweets. But there is one thing that he loves, and that's the chips at Chili's restaurant. (laughs) That's his favorite restaurant he wants to go to. So, my daughter, who lives down in Columbus, was up and I said to Connor, Connor, when you are a big boy and you go on the pot, we will go to Chili's for lunch. He promptly went to the bathroom, got on his potty seat and strained until I think he may have developed hemorrhoids and (laughs) produced a little turd in the pot. He got up off the pot and says, we're going to Chili's for lunch. Well, that was not my plans for the day. I was actually home for lunch. My daughter was, was here, and my wife, Barb, looked at me and said, you promised we're going to Chili's. So we went to Chili's down at Belden Village. Uh, we sat right up there in the front. As you go in the door, off to the right, they have that section right in the very front of Chili's. We had a, a lovely lunch together. At the end of lunch, he needed to go to the bathroom, so I took him to the bathroom. Now, men, you can relate to this. Uh, They don't exactly build urinals for little kids. (laughs) So he needs to be held up. And so I'm holding him up. And he's getting heavy. So I'm holding him on one leg. I'm holding him on the other leg. We wash our hands. We go back to our seats. I walk through the whole restaurant. And I turn the corner. And my wife's mouth drops completely open. And she starts laughing uncontrollably. I look over at my daughter. She is laughing so hard that she's falling off her seat. And I'm going, what? What? What's wrong? Finally, my wife got the words out, look down. And I look down, and on both legs of my jeans, from the top down to the knees, I was covered with poop. (laughs) Now, I've just walked through the whole restaurant, totally unaware, not knowing. And now I have to turn around and walk all the way back through the restaurant to clean myself up the best that I am capable of cleaning myself up And then back out the restaurant with poop stains all over my jeans. We get into the car and my daughter looks at me and says, Dad, you stink. I said, it's your son's fault. The reality is, spiritually, those who do not know Jesus as Savior are walking around in the world... Defiled, they're sinners, and they are totally unaware of the fact that they have violated the truth of an Almighty God. That they have no relationship with Him. They are in need of being washed, of being cleansed of their sins, but they're not going to know that until the Spirit of God does a work in their life and makes them aware that they are in need of being washed, in need of being cleansed. This morning, as we look at this passage of Scripture, I want us to look at it through the lens of before Christ and after Christ. Now, we're dealing with the book of 1 Corinthians. This is the messiest church in the New Testament. If there was a problem in the church, it existed in this church in Corinth. Uh, a friend of mine was recently speaking in another church. He was invited to speak at a church over in Indiana, and the name of the church was the First Corinthian Church. He so said, why would anyone name their church the Corinthian Church? You might as well just put up a flashing billboard. We're filled with problems. And even if someone was so short-sighted that they named it that, someone should have changed the name later the 1st Corinthian church. But this very 1st Corinthian church had all kinds of issues, all kinds of problems, and you guys have been talking about those problems, and we'll continue to talk about those problems as you work through this book. This morning we're going to deal with the issue of lawsuits that were taking place, and believers suing believers. So before Christ, we, as individuals, demand our rights. Look at it in verse 1. When one of you has a grievance against another, does he dare go to law before the unrighteous? So what were the Corinthians doing? They were suing one another in court. They had a grievance, and they're not acting like believers. They're acting like unbelievers. They're demanding their rights rights now this runs counter to the way that the lord jesus christ gave us for settling disputes or when someone has sinned against us in matthew chapter 18 in verses 15 to 17 jesus uh, told his disciples how they're to deal when someone wrongs you if your brother sins against you go and tell him his fault between you and him alone If he listens to you, you have gained your brother. But if he does not listen, take one or two others along with you, that every charge may be established by the evidence of two or three witnesses. If he refuses to listen to them, tell it to the church. And if he refuses to listen even to the church, let him be to you as a Gentile and a tax collector." So disputes were to be settled in the church by believers. But before Christ, the way that those who do not know Christ behave is we demand our rights. And if that means going to court against someone to get our rights, that's what an unbeliever does. But that's not how believers are supposed to behave. Now, this is not talking about someone who has committed a crime. In the case of something that is criminal, Romans 13 makes it very clear to us that what we're to do is submit to the governmental authorities that are over us. But we live in a society that is just obsessed with lawsuits. It is estimated that there are 40 million lawsuits in the United States filed every year let that sink in 40 million and many of these lawsuits will be about trivial things and before christ we will focus on trivial things look at verse 2 or do you not know that the saints will judge the world and if the world is to be judged by you are you incompetent to try trivial cases Now, the word that's used for trivial is a word that means very small things. See, Paul here is using sarcasm with those in Corinthian. The Corinthians were proud of the fact of their wisdom and how sophisticated they were as Greeks. And Paul is saying, there's not even a wise man in the whole church who's able to solve these real little problems you have with one another. But see, in Corinth, historians tell us that everything was very competitive for those who lived in Corinth. And everything was about winning and losing. So we have Christians taking Christians to court over trivial little things. And this soon would be known throughout the whole town of Corinth because they thought a good legal battle was entertaining. So everyone would gather to hear these court cases and to see who could win and who would lose. Before Christ, as unbelievers, we demand our rights, we focus on trivial things. And the Apostle Paul, after having dealt with this issue, making application of it, also shows us that before Christ, we are unrighteous. In verses 9-11, through he gives us a list of things that unbelievers practice. Now, please notice, we're going to go through this list. This doesn't mean, as Christians, we are immune from sinning in any of these areas. What it means is we do not make this the normal, ordinary way of our life. So let's look at this list that Paul gives us. Now Paul doesn't mean for this list to be conclusive. It's not that there's nothing outside of this list. But he is talking about issues that they were wrestling with right there in Corinth. So he's going to talk about what's going on in that church. How their way of life was there. But he says in verse 9, Do you not know that the unrighteous will not inherit the kingdom of God? Paul asks them a question. Aren't you aware of this? Haven't I taught you this? Haven't others taught you this? That to be in the kingdom of God, you have to be righteous. And those who practice unrighteousness are not going to be in God's kingdom. Do not be deceived. Don't let anyone fool you. Don't let anyone pull the wool over your eyes. Be aware of this. Do not be deceived. For neither sexually immoral now the term that's used there for the sexually immoral is a term that refers to all forms of sexual sin any type of sexual sin and as we study the scriptures the scriptures teach us that any type of sexual activity outside the realm of marriage is a sexual sin so paul is saying the unrighteous practice sexual immorality. He says, neither the sexual immoral nor idolaters. An idolater is someone that has an idol, something they worship other than God. Uh, In Corinth, they would have individuals that would make little images. There were silversmiths there that would make images that people would worship. Or they would use that in their worship of Diana. But for us today, an idol is anything that we put before Christ. Anything. It could be our activities, it can be sports, it can be money. What's the most important thing in your life? God demands that He be the most important thing. And anything that we put before Him, anything we focus on other than Him, becomes an idol in our so Paul says, neither the sexually immoral, immor- nor idolaters, nor adulterers, those who break their marriage vows, those who are unfaithful in marriage, nor men who practice homosexuality. Uh, this is a major issue in our culture today, and it's being debated even in churches as to whether or not homosexual acts are sins against God. Paul makes it very clear. He uses two different words in the passage. And the words that he used would refer to male prostitutes. It would refer to homosexual and it is very clear in the language that he uses. Today, they're trying to reinterpret that language and say that's not what Paul means. No, it means exactly how it's translated in our Bibles here. It is homosexual sin. See, we think sometimes that issues of sin that we're dealing with today are brand new. They're not brand new. Paul was dealing with these in the very early church of Corinth. He goes on. And he says, nor thieves, and that refers to those who would steal from someone else, taking something that is not yours. He talks about the greedy. Uh, Greedy, the word that he uses here, means making money the center of your life. Money and all that money can buy becomes your focus. You are greedy. He goes on and he talks about not only the the greedy, but he says, nor drunkards being controlled by alcohol or any other artificial stimulant, nor revilers. Now this word is sometimes translated slanderers in other translations. The term actually refers to those who abuse others verbally. It would speak of those who are verbally abusive in their marriages with their spouse. But it's a broad enough term, it also refers to those who gossip and those who spread rumors. So neither the revilers nor swindlers... And the word for swindler is one that refers to extortion and blackmail. So Paul says, these are all examples of the unrighteous. So, outside of Christ, The way that we should expect people to live. Because sometimes as Christians, we expect non-Christians to live like Christians before they've come to Christ. Outside of Christ, they don't have the power of the Holy Spirit that enables them to overcome their sin. Before Christ, people demand their rights. They focus on little trivial things. And they are unrighteous. But something happens to us when we put our faith and trust in the Lord Jesus Christ. After Christ, the first thing that Paul is going to tell us is we were unrighteous. Past tense, we were. Look at that in verse 11. Verse 11, he says, and such were some of you. When Paul takes an appraisal of those who were in the church at Corinth, he says, this is what you used to be like. You were sexually immoral, you were idolaters, you were adulterers, you practiced homosexuality, you were thieves, you were greedy, you were drunkards, you were revilers, you were swindlers. Now that makes up a good church, doesn't it? But friends, all of us fall short of the glory of God. And we are all in that category, outside of Christ. But Paul says powerful words about Christianity. Notice, and such were some of you. Six powerful words. That's what you used to be. Such were some of you. You're not that anymore. You were unrighteous. But now God has changed you. This is the truth of Christianity. There is hope for everyone in Christ. The Holy Spirit has the power to convert us and to change us. We are told that in Christ we are new creations. The old has passed and is passing. The new has come and is coming in our lives. We're not finished products. This doesn't mean we'll not sin in any of those ways that we're talked about, but it does mean it will not be our pattern of everyday life. Why not? Because there are other things that have happened to us. We were unrighteous, but we are washed. Look at that in verse 11. Such were some of you, but you were washed. Washed. In Titus chapter 3 and verse 5, we're told this, He saved us, not because of works done by us in righteousness, but according to His own mercy, by the washing of regeneration and the renewal of the Holy Spirit. And then again, over in Revelation chapter 1, verse 5, we're told this, And from Jesus Christ, the faithful witness, the firstborn of the dead, and the ruler of the kings of the earth, to Him who loves us and has freed us from our sins by His blood. We are washed. When we come to Jesus Christ as Savior, He changes us by washing us through the blood that He shed on the cross. We were singing about that earlier this morning in the service. We are washed by His blood. We are cleansed. Not because of what we've done, but because of what He has done for us. So we're washed. He also tells us then in verse 11 that we're sanctified. Such were some of you, but you were washed, you were sanctified. To sanctify means to set aside. To take something and set it aside. God has set us aside to be holy he set us aside first corinthians chapter 1 in verse 2 it says to the church of god that is in corinth to those sanctified to those set apart in christ jesus called to be saints now let me stop here just a second how do you view yourself this morning as a believer do you view yourself what is your identity Christ we were singing earlier in the service I am who you say I am so who does God say that we are as believers he says that we are saints if you're here this morning turn to your spouse and tell her she's a saint or tell your husband he's a saint (laughs) okay now We kind of think that sainthood is is reserved for someone who's very, very special. You know, there's a church that has different saints and they have all these categories that they have to meet in order for them to be declared a saint. And, you know, they're debating now whether Mother Teresa can be made a saint or not. But God says... If we have been set apart by Him, and if we have been washed by the blood of Jesus, we are a saint. I try to get my wife to tell me that every day. (laughs) But she will let me know that I don't always act like a saint. But we are declared to be saints. Together with all those who in every place call upon the name of our Lord Jesus Christ, both their Lord and ours. Over in Hebrews chapter 10, verse 10, it says, And by that will we have been sanctified through the offering of the body of Jesus Christ once for all. It's not about us, it's about what Christ has done for us, that he has set us apart and he has made us holy. We are new creatures in Him. We are washed. We are sanctified. Next, we're told we are justified. Verse 11. And such were some of you, but you were washed, you were sanctified, and you were justified in the name of the Lord Jesus Christ and by the Spirit of our God. This term justified comes from the courtroom. It is that moment at the end of the trial when the judge having received all the evidence and having received the verdict declares the defendant not guilty. That's what it means to be justified. God views us through what Christ has done for us and declares us being justified. Romans chapter 3. Verses 23 to 24. For all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. And we are justified by His grace as a gift through the redemption that is in Christ Jesus. It is not in and of ourselves. It is of what Christ has done for us. We have been justified. Now, as new creatures in Christ... Part of what happens when you accept the Lord Jesus Christ as your Savior, you are baptized by the Spirit, which is an act whereby you are placed within the body of Christ. You're a part of the universal church. We should also then be a part of a local church. If we look back at verse 4, Paul will say to them in verse 4, he says, So if you have such cases, why do you lay them before those who have no standing in the church? Why are you taking your lawsuits outside of the church, the body of believers that are there? So that implies that when you are in Christ, Paul knew who was a part of this church at Corinth. They're a part of the church. So these issues should be settled there. He's not talking about disputes that we have with unbelievers. He's talking here about disputes that we have with other believers. They should be settled in the church. So also after Christ, something else that Paul is going to talk about are things that we are going to do. And one of the things he says that we're going to do, he says we are going to judge the world. Let that sink in for a moment. In the future, you as a believer in Christ are going to rule and reign with Christ and you will judge the world. Verse 2. Or do you not know that the saints will judge the world? You say, what does that all look like? What does that all mean? Well, I don't have all the answers as to what that looks like And what that means. But over in Revelation 20 in verse 4, there John writes, "...then I saw thrones, and seated on them were those to whom the authority to judge was committed. Also I saw the souls of those who had been beheaded for the testimony of Jesus and for the word of God, and those who had not worshipped the beast or its image and had not received its mark on their foreheads or their hands." They came to life and they reigned with Christ for a thousand years. It's talking about believers who gave up their lives during the tribulation period and they are going to reign with Christ. You say, okay, that's tribulation believers. What about others? Jesus told his disciples in Matthew 19.28 the following. Truly I say to you, in the new world, when the Son of Man will sit on his glorious throne, you have followed me, will also sit on twelve thrones, judging the twelve tribes of Israel. So in our future, as believers in the church, when we reign with Christ, we are going to be judging, we're going to be governing We are going to be hearing cases that need to be settled. Paul's argument here is, since you're going to have such a lofty position in the future, why are you taking your trivial disputes outside the church and letting people who have no standing in the church determine these things? considering that you will judge the world. But Paul is going to go even a step further. And he says something else that is really astounding here. Look at it in verse 3. Do you not know that we are to judge angels? Let that sink in for a minute. As believers in Christ, when we rule and reign with Christ, we are going to judge angels angels. Now, I know all of you are like, hey, explain that a little bit more to me, but give me some more insight into it. I would love to. Unfortunately, the Bible is silent on that. This is the only hint we have of this. Now, most scholars who look at this will say that in some realm, we are going to be involved in judging the fallen angels. Remember, when Satan fell from heaven... He took a third part of the angels with him. So in some way, we're going to have a role of judging those angels. I don't understand it. I don't know what all is involved there. But I know it's true because the Apostle Paul, writing the inspired Scriptures, tells us that we will have that role of judging angels. But let's get a little bit more practical here with us in our everyday lives as believers in christ we will give up our rights we'll prefer others above ourselves we will in these trivial things remember the scriptures say love will cover a multitude of sins in verse 7 Paul says this, to have lawsuits at all with one another is already a defeat for you. Paul says, you're going to court to win, but I'm going to let you know that when you go to court against a believer, you've already lost. You've lost right then. As soon as you are in that process of suing that individual in the court before an ungodly person at that point, you're both losers. This should have been settled between believers in the church. Why not rather suffer wrong? Why not rather be defrauded? You're letting these little trivial things get in the way of unity within the church. And one thing we know about the church at Corinth, it was divided into all kinds of factions. And here we have brother over brother against brother, suing over minute, small things. Paul says, you're both losers already. And then he adds one more thing in verse 8. He says, But you yourselves wrong and defraud even your own brothers. And he's speaking to them as something they shouldn't be doing. After Christ, we will treat each other rightly. That's how we're to behave. We're to treat others. What did Jesus say? Love your neighbor as what? As yourself. Preferring one another above yourself. We will treat one another with love. Now see, that can refer to a lot of different things. But in the case that Paul is using it right here, it's in reference to the lawsuits they were having against one another. book of 1 Corinthians is a very practical book dealing with people right where they were and issues in the church that continue to be issues today in churches. You may think this is something of the past, but even in these days... We have pastors suing churches, churches suing pastors, believers going to court against unbelievers, believers going to court against believers and violating the clear instructions given to us by Paul. Now I want to make this practical for us this morning with a couple of questions. Number one, where are you? Say, what do you mean, where am I? Are you before Christ or after Christ? Pre-salvation or after salvation? Have you put your faith and trust in Jesus Christ, the only one that can save you? The only one who can wash you? The only one who can sanctify you and make you holy? The only one who can set you apart. The only one that can give you eternal life. The only one who can turn your life around and take you from being an old creature and make you into a new creation in Christ. Do you know Jesus Christ is your Lord and Savior? Have you put your faith and trust in Him? He is the only way to heaven. He said very clearly, I am the way, the truth, and the life. No one comes to the Father but by me. So if you put your faith and trust in Jesus as your Lord and Savior. And then for those of us who have put our faith and trust in Jesus as our Lord and Savior. How are we living out our lives? As we went through that list of the way those outside of Christ live, did you recognize any patterns in your own life? Did you recognize any things that you are struggling with? If so, would you confess them before the Lord this morning? Would you pray to God this morning and ask Him to forgive you and put you back into right relationship with Him? Will you be willing to let the Spirit of God convict you this morning and follow that conviction that you might live in a manner that will bring glory to the Lord Jesus Christ? Because that's what he wants for all of us. And that is why Paul is so rough with the believers there in Corinth. They're professing one thing, but they're behaving another way. And their behavior needs to line up with their profession. And that's true for you, and that's true for me this morning. None of us are perfect. And none of us are going to live sinless lives. But sin should not be the pattern of the way that we're living. And if you've fallen into a pattern, as some in Corinth had done, then it's time to confess those sins to the Lord and begin anew this day. Let's pray. Father, we thank You for Your Word and we thank You for its power. We thank You for Your Spirit who takes Your Word and applies it to our lives. Help us, Lord, that we might walk with You. Help us, Lord, that we might put nothing before You. Forgive us where we failed. And help us from this day forward to walk in newness of life. For this we pray in the name of Jesus. Amen.